Oh, snap, snap, snap. The world is finally waking up to the crap that's baked into and sprayed on kibble dog food. No longer can commercial pet food manufacturers fool us with pretty pictures and false promises. This is the raw dog food truth. The view and opinions expressed on this podcast are not intended to replace medical advice. Before starting any raw diet, do research, ask lots of questions, and consult your vet. Well, hello, raw feeders. I'm Dee Dee Mercer Moffat, the CEO of Raw Dog Food and Company, where your pet's health is our business and we're friends. Don't let friends feed kibble. Well, it's Friday, and that means it's Dr. Judy Jasic Day. Good morning, Dr. Jasic. Good morning, Dee Dee. How are you doing? You know, I've still got this thing in my throat. I don't oh, know no. what it is. You is know, it a frog? Maybe you it's need a frog. to get it out of there. I got, yes, get <laughs> it out. It's uh no. Is it a pony? Know. Are you a little horse? <laughs> hey, you did it. Boom. You're a comedian. I didn't even know it. <laughs> Me either. <laughs> but I'm not going to be quitting my day job anytime soon. Right, right. <laughs> um, so how is your day job going? You are doing telemedicine now. So you guys, you can call in, um, schedule a telemedicine uh, appointment with Dr. Jasek. And as I say, your first step is a second opinion. Dr. Jasek, your first step is a second opinion in the health of your dog. So if you get a diagnosis, which I know you love, you love to work with diagnosis. We'll talk about that a little bit. Um, you might want to talk to Dr. Jasek. How's that going? You know, it's going really well. I, for me, it's it's a slower pace, which I enjoy. I'm staying busy enough. Um, I get up in the morning and throw my sweats on and go to work. <laughs> I have to... Well, I do Zoom calls, so like the from the shoulders up, I have to make sure I look presentable. But you know, bottom half of me, you know, I can be in my jammies, and um, you know, that's it's pretty nice. It's it's more uh, laid back. It's nice to not have to drive anywhere and rush hour and crappy roads and and all of that stuff. And I'm still able to help a lot of people. And it's like you said, you know, second opinions. You know, I see so many things come out of conventional medicine that are just more and more discouraging, actually pretty disgusting. A lot of times, just the things that people are being told and people spending thousands of dollars on diagnostics. Um, it's like we were talking about earlier, because in conventional medicine, they can't treat anything unless they can name it. And then once they name it, there's a standard of care treatment for that name and, but when you take a more holistic approach and you look at the pet and I have enough years experience, it's a lot of times I can kind of start out what's going on without doing all those diagnostic tests. Sometimes diagnostics are, are necessary. I mean, sometimes blood work's a good thing and, you know, it's not like it's always a bad thing, but, um, you know, sometimes you can figure out what's going on without spending all that money. And I always ask the question, well, is, all the, are all these tests going to get us anywhere? Are they going to change our treatment options? Um, or is it just a bunch of money spent so that a conventional vet can name something? And that's usually what it comes down to. And sadly, um, medicine is just becoming very algorithmic. You, you, you have a diagnosis. And they, well, we've talked about that. They have computer programs. They just put it in there and then spits out, okay, here's, here's your symptoms Here's your differential diagnoses. Here's the test you need to do. 
And then based on the test, here's your treatment options. And practitioners don't even have to think. They don't even like look at the patients. But it's it's a different, it's a different approach, just a different way of looking at health and disease and what's going on with the pets. So it it will definitely give you a different perspective on how you look at your pet's condition. And, you know, then you can, people can choose, you know, do you want to go this route or do you like the, you know, uh, more, more conventional route with all the testing and all the naming. And if that's what you like, then, then great. But if that is not sitting well with you, I can help and I can help with anything, even wellness. I still do a lot of wellness consults. You know, what do I feed people with new pup? What do I feed my, my puppy? What do, how do I, what's the best way to minimize vaccines? You know, we can, we can talk about all those things. So yes, I think everybody needs to have a veterinarian that they trust to do hands-on stuff if it's necessary, but we can do an awful lot through telemedicine. Yeah. And what, I mean, it's very difficult to, as you and I are listening to Dr. Cowan and um, learning a lot more and expanding our thinking and, um, diagnosis can send you down a rabbit hole. And are those diagnoses actually correct? And, you know, like I, we were talking earlier, you said you treat the pet, you don't deal with diagnosis. And, and once you get a diagnosis, pet parents stay with that for the rest of their lives. Oh, my dog has this, they can't have that. Right? Yeah, right. They're allergic to chicken, they can never eat chicken again for the rest of their life. I'm sure you've heard that one plenty. Oh my gosh. I hear, I, I hear so many things. It's crazy. Um, what did I, uh, you know, people, they're still going on with this. My dog needs grains. And I'm like, you need to go back and tell your vet that that was debunked. Uh, maybe we'll put some downloaded sheets that they could take in and, and help their educate their vets. Cause they just don't know. Um, but you know, um, somebody said to me the other day, what was it? My dogs, let's see, the senior dogs, and they can't have, you know, this high level of protein. I mean, there's just so many myths that are just, or just, I don't even know if you'd call them myths. What would you call it? Just incorrect information that's still floating around out there? It's, yeah. it's nutty. Prop- propaganda, really. Yeah. Just just fake propaganda. Yeah. And it's it's a lot of it's a lot of misinformation and it's, you know, it's one of those things that like, that like the whole grains, like dog need, dogs need grains for a healthy heart. I mean, from the very first time I heard that, uh, oh my God, here we go. Here's the pet food industry putting out this propaganda to sell food. It's a marketing campaign really is, is what it is, but they do it very kind of sneaky and in the back door by getting the vets on board with this. And so then, you know, people go into their vet and their dog has some heart condition and they, you know, the vets someone they need grain. And so they get the vets selling this principle. And then, you know, people stay on these foods, which are high in grain, which is what the, um, what the companies, what the companies want. There was actually, did you send me that? There was an article about, they had proved that, that the veterinarians that the research being done on this whole issue, the, the ties between the, um, the cardiomyopathy and the grains, the people doing that research were actually working for the pet food companies. And I'm oh, like, yeah. well, 
duh, like I could have told you that without somebody proving it, but at least it came out in, you know, in writing that that was actually going on. But I mean, I could have told you that when I first heard this, because that's what happens. It's fake propaganda and it's about selling. It truly is. um, It truly is marketing. That's the state of the, of the system. And, And, you know, one of the reasons why, you know, vets will tell people that their dogs have lifelong diagnoses because then they treat them for the rest of their life and they get to sell drugs to them for the rest of their life. There, there's, there's money in, in keeping pets sick and then the drugs make them sick and then they treat them with more drugs to treat side effects and they're never healthy. So guess what? They're in and out of the vet several times a year. I'd rather get my patients so healthy. I don't hear from them. Like, yeah, they might maybe like a little note just to say how well their dog is doing. That's always fun to hear, but I, I don't want them. I don't want people dependent on me. I want people to be empowered to take care of their pets and know how to feed them and know how to adjust the food. If there's a loose stool or they're too constipated or have some things on hand for the weekend diarrhea, so they don't have to run into the ER. Now, I want people to be empowered to know how to take care of their pets. And then they're only going into the vet if it's a true emergency. I I don't ever go to the doctor myself personally. Hell no. Why would I do that? (laughs) Not right now. I know if I'm healthy, you know, and if something comes up, then I make, you know, I go to find a practitioner. But for the most part, I can, you know, figure stuff out on my own. This whole business about... And I remember working with, um, like, you talk to a business consultant um, in in the veterinary world, and it's all about profit. It's not about health. It's about how many times a year can you get people in? Why do you think they require or they send out reminders for for vaccines? You know, all of the... um, like the parvo and distemper, those combination shots, those were all approved for three years, many years ago. I I mean, a couple of decades ago, I think now. But I see so many records now that they're coming in and those are put in as annual vaccines. And why are they doing that? It's to get people in the door because, because they know that if you tell the majority of pet parents that this is required, to keep your pet healthy and people just, they get the postcard and they go in, they don't even think about it. A lot of people do, not everybody, but, but a lot of people just get that postcard. Oh, my pets do for these vaccines. I better get them in. And then they just get them in. Do they need all that stuff? No. I mean, people that go in every year for a Bordetella shot, which I think is worthless. Anyway, they're not even boarding. They're not like a small, like house pet, like my dog that like hardly ever leaves the house. What what are they going to get exposed to out there? And they're like, Oh, you know, got to get in for that. And oh, got to stay on heartworm, you know, year round, even though it's the dead of winter and it's 20 below out. Like, come on, let's use some common sense. So I want to empower people to think through these things. Like, is this really necessary for my pet? And not to just follow all the recommendations. Because I can assure you the recommendations are profit driven at 90% of the time. Say it isn't so. Maybe ninety five percent of the time. <laughs> Maybe ninety nine percent of the time. Right. <laughs> All right. So we always want to give um, a um, 
opposing opinion from maybe somebody uh, from somebody who do who does listen to our podcast. This one is going to be from Karen, who is talking about Lyme disease and antibiotics. So let me read this and then I'll get your comments. But uh, Karen said on Martin Luther holiday weekend on a Martin Luther holiday weekend during a a snowstorm, no less her last Bouvier female at six months of age came in from being outside with blood running from her nose, having to wait a few hours till the storm passed they went to the emergency vet hospital to find out her body was destroying her own platelets caused by a tick carrying urlichiosis uh, or urlichia. Um, her platelets were down to 8,000, where normal, I believe, is over 175,000. So without antibiotics, she would have died. Now, she lived till 12 and a half And that scare and experience stays with me to this day. The ticks in Connecticut are horrendous this year. I just pulled off one tonight as I write this. And we have a wide variety of ticks here to fight them in such a challenge. And not all animals can fight these bacteria without intervention. And the alternative could be heartbreaking if to do nothing. So... Um, we were talking about, uh, and she may be referring to the podcast where we're talking about, do we do doxycycline, you know, do we do flea and tick, you know, so this experience, um, scared this pet parent and, and would obviously, um, but what would you say about this situation? Well, First of all, as we always say, there's usually more to the picture. Now, I know that East Coast, Connecticut, Massachusetts, I know the ticks are horrific. We actually had a client that traveled back there. She's from New Jersey, back in that area. And she goes back there pretty regularly. And she was back there, I don't know, like during the summertime. I shouldn't shouldn't laugh. But um, she sent a picture. I guess there was some new tick. There were these itty-bitty little ticks. And there were probably hundreds of them on her dog. It it was, she was, had a golden retriever and she parted the hair and showed us all these little bugs. She spent days pulling these things off. So I know that's a problem, but in this particular scenario, so immune mediated thrombocytopenia, which is what this is, which that means immune systems attacking the platelets. Number one, I would ask, so I don't question what was going on and, and that the dog had a diagnosis of, or tested positive for Ehrlichia, but you know, we can question how valid tests are. However, in my experience, a young dog gets autoimmune disease. I'm asking about the vaccine history. So my thing is, is that positive test for Ehrlichia the only thing that was going on? When was the dog vaccinated? And what else was the dog treated with? Because I don't know, I haven't seen the records, but anytime we see low platelets like that, and there's a suspicion of autoimmune disease, they're put on steroids or some sort of immunosuppressive drugs. So my other question, was the dog treated with something else besides the doxycycline? Was it the doxycycline that got this dog better? Were there other drugs involved, which... It'd be highly suspicious there was, but I haven't seen the records and was the only thing going on with this dog that positive or leaky test. So I would want 
that information because I would suspect that there is more to the picture. And, and I'm very happy that the dog did so well. But did it do so well because of the antibiotics? That I would still question. And, and you know, until I see all the, you know, the records that would, you know, prove or disprove that. So what causes the nosebleed in that situation? They literally, their blood doesn't clot. So, you know, there's a lot of little blood vessels in, you know, in the nose. And so puppy out running around, maybe bonked its head on something, you know, ran into, you know, puppies do goofy things, um, flopped its head too hard on the ground. And if there's absolutely, the platelets are the first line of defense in blood clotting. That's the very first thing, like you cut yourself. The very first thing that happens is those platelets go in and plug the hole. And then you have this whole clotting cascade and all these enzymes and everything that come in and form a more solid clot. But the initial defense to stop bleeding is the platelet. So if you don't have platelets, it is a serious concern for bleeding. So the puppy, like I said, probably bonked its nose or something. And because the nasal passages has all these tiny little vessels, it was bleeding and the blood couldn't, couldn't clot because there wasn't enough platelets. Wow. So it is well, it's very serious condition. I mean, it's like, I'm not minimizing the condition. It's, it is potentially life-threatening. Um, and sometimes this autoimmune um, thrombocytopenia, which that's where the platelets are being destroyed, sometimes goes hand in hand with an autoimmune anemia where the uh, red blood cells actually end up being destroyed. So it's, it's very serious, but it's, not treated by doxycycline, <laughs> you know? I mean, honestly, those dogs, to get them stable, you have to put them on immunosuppressive drugs. And my suspicion is that that's probably those were going on at the same time. Um, but I haven't, you know, haven't haven't seen the record. So, you know, I can't verify that for sure. Yeah, and I, I don't know that they did doxycycline. I'm not sure she didn't say what they did. Um, we were just on that particular <clears throat> podcast talking about um, somebody that that was looking at doing doxycycline because they had tested positive, right, mm, for right. your lichia. Uh, so I'm not really sure. This was just an advocation for, hey, you know, we had to do, um, we had to do uh, antibiotics. So- Mm -hmm. um, and and another just thought there too in, in along the lines of vaccines, which I am just more and more convinced that they just cause so much harm in our pets because I see it all the time. But then that probably if the dog had conventional like puppy vaccines was probably more susceptible to getting infected by any organism that came around too, because its immune system may have been compromised by the vaccinations. Well, that's a hard one for people to uh, believe. And even when we preach that over and over and over again, there's still a fear. If I don't vaccinate, then the issue is going to be worse, right? Mm -hmm. But if you guys will really take a look at what is in the ingredients, what's in that cocktail that they are injecting into your dog? And I will say that it's probably difficult to get that insert. Certainly as they are changing those, but the, the things that are in these are not, um, harmless, right? There's preservatives, mercury, 
the myosol, antibiotics. There's antibiotics, genomycin in there, all different types of um, antibiotics. There's uh, formaldehyde. There's foreign animal tissues whether that is going to be insect proteins, eggs, porcine tissue, monkey kidney tissue, human fetal lung tissue. I kind of wonder why do we need all that? Uh, but there's fungicides, antimicrobials. There's buffering agents in there. It's got, that means borax, salts, uh, formaldehyde. There's so much stuff in there. How could... All of these different ingredients not cause issues in your pets. Right. And, and they actually put so, some of the ingredients they actually put in there are designed to cause a local reaction because that's how they get the antibody. Like aluminum is actually put in there to cause a local reaction to, to stimulate more antibodies. So if you go to measure antibodies, you get a higher antibody levels because of some of these substances because they're irritants. They like, they they activate the immune system because the immune system is reacting to these adjuvants, these other substances, not to the actual antigens. So I think that's why vaccines can often set off autoimmune disease because they just like send the immune system into overdrive. Right. And the aluminum, contrary to what you've been told, is very difficult to remove once it gets into the body. Mm -hmm. um, this article that I was reading, it says after the aluminum causes damage locally, well, then it goes to the brain, the spleen, the muscles, the bones, the liver, and the heart. So it's going all over the body, right? Um, and and it, it could cause a myriad of diseases, but we still do it in the name of prevention, in name of prevention, we poison the body in name of prevention. And that's the thing that we just cannot get. We just can't get that through uh, to our pet parents. They still want to do these things to their dogs. And then you guys have got a long road to hoe to try to get your dogs healthy again. Right? Yeah. And it can be tough. I mean, sometimes I, some of these things are are permanent or long, long lasting. And, you know, sometimes things are more subtle, but when I hear, I actually had a client tell me her dog had had a couple of like minor vaccine reactions, like maybe some itchy skin or watery eyes. And then the dog had a round of vaccines and the dog's personality completely changed. The dog completely withdrew, didn't interact with the family, didn't play with its toys, um, completely changed. Well, what does that remind you of? It reminds me of autism and people, you know, and we know there's links between childhood. The, the kids get, what, 72 something vaccines now, um, human children. And, you know, the, the rate of autism in children went up, you know, dramatically, you know, starting in the 80s when they started increasing the number of vaccines. And that's what it sounded like to me. And I'm like, oh, my gosh, you know, we're creating autism in pets by giving these vaccines, not every pet, but how much of that just gets overlooked? Like, oh yeah, I just don't want to play anymore. You know, like don't people, you know, may not even be recognizing that as a um, consequence to the vaccines. But I think there is, 
there's a ton of vaccine injury out there that just doesn't get recognized. Well, there's a whole article. Um, there's actually a book called Vaccination, Social Violence and Criminality, The mm. Unwanted Consequences of Human Vaccinations. Um, it talks about that. But when we're talking about pets, there is an article that says there's all types of neurological neurological damage that happens um, and these adverse effects of the vaccine of of the vaccines in pets. So encephalitis, right? Which mm -hmm. I have to say, I think I've said this on the podcast before. When my father was a kid, there was supposedly a rabid dog in the neighborhood. Nobody knew if it was really rabid or not, but just in case, let's give you 18 shots in your stomach <laughs> to which he developed encephalitis. What is that? It is an, a, a swelling of the brain, mm -hmm. um, right? So it caused him to have to learn how to even speak again um oh it, it, it was very dangerous but we do see that in dogs they say they can get encephalitis uh epilepsy as you were talking about personality changes um autism it, it talks about in this uh article right here from dogs naturally it says dr andrew wakefield uh you know who has done a lot of work out there has discovered a vaccine autism neurological link and they're they're asking the question can dogs have autism and the answer is yep yep they can. absolutely right? absolutely and, I, i've had people you know say hey like their dog just blanks out they're just never the same after the shots it's 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 really sad but i know it can happen another thing i wanted to throw into that list too is pain and i'm seeing more cases of this lately where Young dogs just get, I mean, excruciatingly painful. So this is like an autoimmune, like polyarthritis where the joints become inflamed. So that's just the part of the body that gets affected. And it, what varies with the individual is what part of the body is most affected. It might be the brain, which could be behavior or like, you know, in the case of your dad, um, you know, generalized brain swelling caused a whole bunch of different symptoms, um, but it can also affect the joints and I mean, these dogs are excruciatingly painful. So whenever I hear about a puppy that's just presenting with pain and, and like it shifts around the body. So it's not just one leg they're limping on because they hurt a leg. It's like they're, they hurt all over and they just don't, they don't want to be touched. They can't do anything. They, they can't get on the couch anymore, or, you know, do things like they would normally do because they're in such excruciating pain. So if you see that in a dog after a vaccine, that could be an autoimmune issue. And, you know, you need to really address it and get that under control, or you could end up with joint damage. Well, I just want to state this, that the medical establishment, Dr. Jasek, refuses to acknowledge that vaccines can trigger autism. The CDC continues to assert that studies show no link between vaccines and autism. So there's that. Shocker, right? Very, very much a shock. Yeah. Um, you know, the 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 other thing about my father, so he had those shots. Okay, now we're back in the day. So my parents were born in late 40s, right? Like 47. Um, so they didn't have this vaccine schedule that has come about today, right? However, he had that rabies shot. He developed encephalitis. 
then he developed polio and he got polio. Uh, he got the polio vaccine. And shocker, my father got cancer and died at 47. Oh, gosh. Tragic. You know, and they they want to blame that on smoking. But when I because my dad did smoke, um, he was also a fireman. But when I really look back on it, I I think to myself, he was totally set up to have cancer. Mm-hmm. Right. And uh, of course, you know, you like with this CDC and, and they're just never, ever going to admit to anything. We see that today. So I would not take this as a basis of my decisions, you know, right. if the CDC or the FDA is going to say anything. Because they cannot, you guys, they cannot um, admit to it. And it should be um, evident if the FDA or the CDC or the WHO or whomever says, I want 76 years before I want to come out and tell you what's actually in the ingredient list. That should tell you all you need to know right there. Because if, if it's good, why do you need to hide it? Right. What are they, what are they hiding from us? And why would you put something in your body or in your pet's body that you don't know exactly what's in it? And sadly, I bet the majority of veterinarians don't know what's in these vaccines either. They're not reading the labels. They're just listening to what the sales rep says or following their corporate protocols for the clinic that they work at and in doing that. They're not, they're not really looking at, you know, what's, what's in these vaccines. No, no, they're not. And I, I'm telling you, we we talk about this all the time, that marketing, marketing, marketing. And there are so many people that will cave to the money aspect, okay? Um, uh, even the, the like the corporate clinics. I get it that most vets do not want to deal, deal with the business of the business, right? They just want to mm-hmm. see patients. But there's a price to pay when you sell out. And I get it. They think that they're going to be able to do more for the patients. But can they really? Because once you sell, now you are under that umbrella and you have to do the protocol of which they want you to do. So, mm-hmm. uh, but but I, I was looking in uh, Dr. Connor Brady's book. It's called Feeding Dogs. Dry or raw, the science behind the debate. Uh, chapter 14, he he breaks this down and it's he, he said that he uh, was working for a guide dog organization over in Perth, Australia. Okay. And he was doing this, he wanted to do this test, this food test in on some of the most allergy prone dogs that they had in this um, guide dog service. And he said that he couldn't uh, convince his boss at the time to um, to switch over and let him do this test. He gave this detailed presentation, uh, but they would not listen to them. So he went to another uh, guide dog and he, he did a small test they agreed to do this small test on um on these guide dogs um and 
what I, I'm kind of looking at this, but they but they basically here in a nutshell, they had 216 dogs at the time that they switched over to all raw. And he said their vet bills fell by some 80,000 Australian dollars Wow! as these dogs went on raw. And he said, by all accounts, the incidents of skin, ear, and gut conditions in these dogs plummeted. And the very same, um, uh, let's see, he said the dogs were peeing less. The urinary tract infections were all resolved. Um, and they had less joint issues and panostitis. Um, How do you say that? Panostatitis? Pa- pa- Panosteitis, yeah. Panosteitis. See, that's uh, that's why you're a vet. It's like when uh, we go to doctor school. I told you, you can learn how to say those big words, right? <laughs> um, so what happened was, um, this particular guide dog service decided that they would start creating their own raw dog food, and they created it and they had great success selling it right they were selling it dogs were getting better and then he said all of a sudden he couldn't find this service anymore this guide dog service uh he he couldn't find their facebook page um in regards to this raw pet food and lo and behold what happened was Mars came in and bought them mm. or or shut them, you know, basically bought them and gave them money. To uh, shut them down. Yeah. Yeah. And they okay. went back, he said, they went back to doing the 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 kibble. Ah, oh, that's just so that is just so disheartening to hear that. Right. They so not that it, it surprises me, but it's very sad. Yeah. And, you know, I look at some of those um, companies that were great starting out. And then all of a sudden you, we start seeing changes happen. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I think, um, I think farm, let's see, far, um, what is it called? Farm dogs or farmers, the, farmers, farmers, farmers dog. dog. Farmers dog. I, I think I saw farmers dog in the pet food industry a newsletter where they were at their, at their, um, uh, summits and all that kind of stuff. And I was like, mm, sounds like you sold out, right? Sounds like you sold out. Yeah. Now think about it. Mars is what, $12 billion. Mm. And they're going to come in and give you money so that you will stop spreading the good news. Stop making right. those daggum dogs healthy. It's not good for our business. Right. And Mars in case people aren't aware, owns a lot of the corporate clinics. Mars owns, I I don't know exactly what the percentage is, but I I bet they own 40 or 50% of the whole profession. If you include food companies, I know they own like Banfield and Blue Pearl and some of these um, corporate vet clinics, you know, at least they did, but I'm sure they're still, if it's not them directly, it's one of their affiliated corporations. They own a big part of the industry. So sure, they're making money treating sick pets. 
they don't want to see an 80% or, or you said $80,000, but it's probably an 80% drop in disease too. Um, they're, they, they don't want to see that. That's just cutting into their profit margins. Let's get rid of these companies doing that. And the small companies, they can buy them up without blinking. So he, he says uh, on page 277 of chapter 14, he said, I remember a previous boss of mine saying a top pet food company offered them free food if they would go on record saying it helped our dogs focus better. Focus better with all of the carbs and all of the sugars and the preservatives and the synthetics. And what's really interesting in this book, you know, Dr. Jason, we've talked a long time about all of those things I just named and how they're not good for your dogs. But what he really goes into here is why they started radiating the food. Mm-hmm. And that was because they had mm-hmm. um, um, the little bugs in them. That bugs in the food, mites. <laughs> yeah. And he was like, and so it was not only dangerous for the pets, it was dangerous for people, right? Because that is one of the scare tactics that the vets love to use. Well, I'm not worried about your dog, but I am worried about you getting sick. Yeah. And he, in this book, he says they had to find a way to make their food uh, not uh, so buggy. So they basically start radiating the food. How crazy yeah. is that? Yeah. And people, you know, express concerns over the safety of raw food. Like there are no bugs growing in it. <laughs> yeah, it, it's crazy. And he, you know, he says, how many people put kibble in their pockets as treats for their dogs, right? So oh, they're walking around, true. they're touching the kibble. He said, um, these bags are left open, you know, little kids you know, are on the floor. They can pick those up. They can eat them. And he says, it's it's very dangerous. And yet this narrative is still out there. And I don't know, I've had two people ask me lately, and I, I'm going to repeat this. Do not come to my site and ask me for a kibble recommendation. Okay. My customer service team, nobody is going to give you a kibble recommendation. Why would I recommend something that I know is incredibly dangerous for your dogs? I'm not going to do it. Friends, don't let friends feed kibble for a sphincter good reason. (laughs) I just. Yeah, I say the same thing. People ask me, oh, is there any good kibble? I could be like, nope, not, not any, not any good kibble. And I also, I tell people quite honestly that the things that I do are not going to help your pet um, because the kibble is part of the problem. If you don't stop the kibble, then the things we do that can help pets be healthier, they're not going to work. You're you're going to end up back at your conventional vet treating symptoms and diagnoses that have a name because they're just not going to be healthy if you don't get them off the kibble. It's just, it's impossible. Yeah. And there's Lazzie saying hello. We had, uh, if you can hear my dog barking. I can. We, Hi, we, hello, Lazzie. We had six bulls. Okay. You guys are elks, right? Uh, six male wow. elk out in our backyard. And they were they this morning and they were uh, hitting their antlers together. They were, and, and they, they weren't trying to kill each other. I think they were just maybe like playing, but it's, uh, it's quite loud. 
Oh, when, I bet. When these guys start uh, doing their thing, as long as, as there's not any females around, they're they're pretty much okay. But you start the rutting season and um, the females come in and the boys want to kill each other. But oh, uh, yeah. right, right now they don't. No, um, now they're just practicing. Yeah, now they're just practicing. All right. So I have one question before I let you go today. So um, we have great listeners from Canada. We have great listeners from all over. And we had a question come in. Unfortunately, I don't think I got all of the information that uh, I believe it was Cynthia wanted to ask because she was asking, hey, where do I send this question? But she said she has been feeding raw, um, but she still got um, anal sack problems with the dog. Um, you know, I don't know if, if they have been manually expressing the anal sacs. I don't really know what the composition of the raw food is, but what have you seen with anal sac problems? And are there some, um, homeopathic or, uh, holistic ways that we can get those, uh, sphincter problems worked out? Well, the, so the first thing I would ask is what are they seeing? So sometimes people say their dog has anal gland problems because they're scooting. Well, dogs will sometimes scoot just because their butts itch and it may not be the anal glands themselves. So have the anal glands been checked and are they indeed like staying full? So when I hear anal gland problems, that to me suggests that the glands are full stink, like not being expressed normally on their own. If it's just a scooting issue, um, I would say be sure that the anal glands have been checked because sometimes like skin allergies, skin sensitivities will just show up on the butt and they'll just scoop. So, you know, make sure that it's truly an anal gland problem. If the, if it is true that the anal glands are not getting expressed regularly, what I'll hear sometimes from people is that they, the dogs stink because the anal glands are filling up and they're not getting them expressed naturally. So they leak out that stuff in them leaks out. And it is God awful, nasty smell. It is. So it's, it's awful. And especially if it gets on your furniture in your house and your house smells like it and, and stuff. So, so it would kind of depend on what's going on. So in that scenario, if the anal glands are not getting expressed naturally, so make sure there's enough bone content, adequate bone content in the food. Cause what typically helps them be expressed naturally is that nice firm stool and good muscle tone. So make sure dogs are getting plenty of exercise. Um, the muscles are well toned and that the stool is firm enough. So if the dog is having even intermittent loose stools, then I would say we need to look at the diet and maybe need to um, change up the proportions there a little bit so that we have a good like formed stool. Um, I'd make sure the dog is being checked. I'm seeing a lot of anal gland tumors lately. Mm. Um, sadly, it used to be kind of a rare cancer diagnosis. Now, along with most cancer diagnoses, we're seeing more and more of it. So if there's any discomfort in the back end, um, you know, they should just have, you know, they just need to go into the vet and have somebody stick a finger up the sphincter and <laughs> take a feel and what? make sure there's there's not a not a um, tumor or something, something like that. Um, and then some dogs, um, their anal glands are just in kind of an odd position where I think even though those muscles contract, 
they just don't get expressed so naturally well. So you want to do all the things that I just talked about. Some some dogs do benefit from maybe they just need a little help getting their glands expressed every four to six weeks. I mean, I have seen some cases like that. However, I don't, you know, I, I'm kind of in the mi- mindset. If it, if it ain't broke, don't try to fix it. So just randomly expressing anal glands, I don't necessarily do that unless I know there's a problem and we know that the dog does better having those expressed because for some reason they just can't get that done on their own. So those would be my initial thoughts anyway. So I just, I found that email. It is from Candace. I said, uh, Cynthia, but it is from Candace. Now, Candace said that she um, has listened to almost every episode. Thank you so much, Candace. We appreciate that. Um, She said that this is a rescue dog. She got him a year ago. Um, She does feed raw, but this dog was over vaccinated. We do see that with rescue dogs. She says Mm -hmm. she's now working with a homeopathic vet. That's fantastic. Um, but I think that's great advice. Why do you think that you're seeing these anal tumors? You know, I, I think so much of cancer, I, I think that the, at the root it's toxicity now, whether it's poor diet and they're getting God knows what in these kibble foods, all sorts of chemicals, I'm sure, over-vaccinated, um, which that makes me wonder too about if it's just like an itchy butt, the dog's scooting, then that could be subsequent to the over-vaccinating and like a skin reaction from that. But I, with the anal glands, I also wonder about, you know, environmental toxins like the glyphosate that they put in the weed killer and stuff. Cause dogs are sitting out there in their yards and lawns and they, you know, go on walks and, you know, sit, they got their, you know, little butts right down there in the grass all the time, you know? And, and I think just being exposed to environmental toxins in combination with, you know, over vaccinating and, you know, the the kibble foods. And um, I think it kind of all adds up, but I think the like direct exposure outside to pesticides, herbicides, things like that, um, I, I suspect that's a, that's a big contributing factor. Wow. That's terrible. I mean, it's terrible. I I don't know. Um, We've got to snap out of thinking that cancer just happens, guys. Cancer doesn't just happen. Cancer doesn't just happen. And we've got to really look at where are all the toxins? What is the load of toxins that's going into the body? You've got to keep these dogs clean. You've got to keep these dogs clean. And I'm so glad that that Dr. Connor Brady breaks down a lot of what's in kibble dog food in this book. Because when people come to me that aren't supposed to and ask me about kibble, I'm going to say there's there's no way that we would, you know, um, recommend Kimmel that has this, 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 and this in it. And now I can quote him, you know, because we we kind of, you know, we talk about the sugars and the preservatives. But when he really talks about the bugs, and there's a there's a new toxin in that kibble, and uh, it looks like vomit toxin is what it looks like. And he said it's a real thing. It's V O M I T. So V-O-M-I toxin, vomitoxin. Hmm. And he said, yeah, it makes your dogs vomit. Hmm. 
what is it? I mean, like, what's it from? Did he say? Uh, he does. I don't, I don't have that one, uh, pulled up, well, but we can talk I, about that next time. Yeah, we could talk. Cause about I'd be that. curious to hear what, where that comes from. And you know, one thing about his book, um, Dr. Jasek, he has so much stuff cited in here. Every single chapter has where, I mean, th- this book is 500 pages long. <laughs> it's a big book. Um, but he 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 really cites his resources. Um, it, it's just it, it's just incredible all the stuff that he has in here, and it's criminal the stuff that he has in mm-hmm. here. I think I'm going to have to get that book. That sounds like a great a great reference, like you said, for specifically naming things. Like we see the clinical evidence that dogs just don't do well on kibble and they do better on our fresh food diet. But when you have that direct evidence that has been, you know, well researched and documented, um, that would be a really great thing to pass along to people to, to, you know, so people realize, you know, we're not just trying to sell food here. We're trying to keep your pet healthy. Yes. And, and if people can't afford say they can't afford it, well, can you afford this, you know, all these extra vet bills? But for some reason, I don't know, like for some people, that's, it's okay. It's okay. They'll pay the vet bills. They'll complain about them, but they'll pay them, but they won't put an extra, you know, hundred bucks a month into feeding their dog and keeping it healthy. And I don't understand that, but that seems to be the mindset of a lot of people. Yeah. In, in his book, uh, he says the medical profession is being bought by the pharmaceutical industry, not only in terms of the practice of medicine, but also in terms of teaching and research. The academic institutions of this country are allowing themselves to be paid agents of the Mm -hmm. pharmaceutical industry, and I think it's disgraceful. Now, that was by Arnold Relman. He was a Harvard or is a Harvard professor or was from uh, 1923 to 2014 Harvard professor of medicine, former editor in chief of the new England medical journal. So no, I think that's his birth and death 1923 to 214 or 2014. Um, So yeah, it, 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 you know, Dr. Connor Brady's probably going to have a target on his back after this book. I'm sure. I'm sure. But he's, he's right on. Uh, It's like we were saying before, it's, it's all, it's all marketing. You know, I think I mentioned before, I'm reading this book called Empire of Pain. It's about the whole opioid industry mm-hmm. and they just hid all the evidence. So it's about the Oxycontin basically, which caused many deaths in people because people, A, became addicted and it ruined their lives because they couldn't work and they just couldn't function because they became so addicted, it became a popular street drug because of the high. Um, they and they flat out told doc- doctors were leery. They're like, "This is an opioid. The, people get addicted to these." They flat out just lied to doctors and said, "Oh no, because this is a sustained release, and you don't get that sudden high level of the medication in the bloodstream that it cannot be that um, people cannot become addicted to it." They told doctors that they never tested that. And people became addicted to it like 
crazy. And then they OD'd on it. People died. Kids were dying of overdoses. And they just, I mean, it eventually all came out. And I think the company got sued and everything. I haven't gotten to that part of the book, but they just, they covered up all this information. Why? Because they were making billions selling this stuff because it got people out of pain and people felt good and they promoted it as being, as being safe. And they did it through educating the doctors. It was all through, they got the doctors to do their marketing for them. They, they, you know, got into the medical profession, figured out what to say to the doctors to get the doctors to write the prescriptions. And that's sadly what happens. These reps are are trained to sell to the doctors and they get the doctors to write the prescription. So yeah, they they just they infiltrate the the medical industry and pharma's running the medical industry. It's it's really sad. Well, interesting that you say that because on this same page, and he's talking about Oxycontin, he's talking about the opioid addiction. On this same page, he says that in May, excuse me, of 2007, uh, Purdue Frederick, an affiliate Mm -hmm. of Purdue Pharma, along with three company executives, pleaded guilty to making false claims about Oxycontin's addictiveness and they were ordered to pay $634 million in fines. Nothing for them, right? Because mm-hmm. they, they make billions. Right. But he said that um, America is now consuming 80% of global opioid pills. And this has resulted in um, tragic amounts of addiction and death. He said in the United States, more than 63 um 63,600 drug overdose deaths um, are equating to around 115 deaths a day, which is more than gun, crime, and car crashes combined. Wow. But we're all about taking guns away because guns get up and move out there and go shoot people by themselves. It's very weird. I mean, well, that's, and that was another one of their big claims this company that made the Oxycontin. Which is funny you said that about the guns, because I had the same thought when I read this, that, well, it's it's not the drug, it's the it's the people, you know, is that people get addicted because they have, you know, um, addictive personalities. It has nothing to do with the drug. But when it's the guns, oh, no, it's it's the guns. It's not the people using the guns that are the problem. It's it's the guns. So funny how they just kind of change the narrative, you know, depending on what point they want to get across. Right. You have to be pretty awake today because the narratives keep flipping and they don't make sense. They will make you crazy unless you can critically think. Mm-hmm. Right. And that is um, frightening for many people. But I will say this. There's no way out other than critical thinking. <laughs> right. You're going to you're going to put your dog in danger. You're going to put yourself in danger if you don't critically think, if you don't step back, if you don't get out of the fear. Right. The fear is the thing. And if you really listen to people who can critically think, who can be peaceful in this turbulence that we're experiencing, it is getting out of the fear. You just you have to back up and say, okay. I can handle this. You can. You may not want to, as you've said many times, but you can handle it. 
Mm-hmm. And um, man, Dr. Jasek, I just see, I see tragic things happening when we get into fear and we allow people to push us in directions that we would have never gone had we not been so fearful, whether that's ourselves or our pets. Right. Because fear, you know, it, it removes your ability to critically think because you're in this like survival mode and you just, you do knee jerk reactions. And I, you know, I get that, you know, I, I, as you know, I work with a lot of um, pets with cancer and, you know, somebody hears that diagnosis, it's devastating and you're afraid and you want to do everything you can for your pet, but it's so important to, I think, don't make decisions until you can get yourself out of fear. Whatever you have to do, go out for a walk or meditate or whatever it is for you to get out of that mode. Don't make knee-jerk reactions in that moment of fear and panic because they're not going to be, they're not going to be logical. You need to step back. Like we said earlier, get another opinion, talk to other people. Um, you know, there's a lot of information out there and I know that can be overwhelming, but you know, information is ammunition. You know, that's, that's how you can sort this out. You don't believe everything you hear, but you have to get out there and investigate and hear other points of view. And then, you know, you ultimately have to decide what's, what's best for your pet, but, but don't do it out of fear. The reason that vets talk the way they do to people is fear sells. They tell you, you know, your dog's got three months to live because of this cancer diagnosis. That gets a lot of people to sign up for those chemo treatments. Even though it might only give them a few more months, they're, they're so afraid that if they do nothing, that their pet may die sooner, that they just do this knee jerk. And it's all based in fear. So if you're feeling afraid, it's not the time to make a major decision. Take take a step back, get some more information, you know, try to try to think through things as best you can, and you'll make much better decisions that you won't end up regretting later. Yeah. In this book, he says exactly what you said. He says, as the saying goes, bad science gets results. And he and he said, drug companies are not required to publish the trials that didn't work or worse still, he says, those that found side effects. He said, researchers are free to do as many trials as they wish and publish only those results where they fared positively. So he said, it's like flipping a coin 100 times and only publishing a 10 flip section where the good results uh, appeared uh, on your side, right? So uh, we just have to realize that that industry is very, very corrupt. And what we really need to look at is our pet. What we really need to to look at is how many dogs are coming to us, are coming to the other raw companies, are coming to holistic vets with the same symptoms over and over and over, Dr. Jasek, and they've done the same thing over and over and over, right? We do Mm -hmm. this vaccine and that vaccine, and we go to this substandard food. Eventually, you've got to say, there's 
a correlation here. And and just like what Dr. Connor Brady said in his book, these dogs, they did this trial. These dogs were doing great. They came up with a raw dog food and they were selling it because they saw in these guide dogs that they were getting over all of these illnesses. And then all of a sudden they're gone and that company is back mm promoting Mars. And you know, what's really funny is that if you have a therapy dog here in the United States, they cannot be raw fed. No, they have to be fed kibble. And they're going in to places where people are not in the best health and they're being fed these toxic foods and that's okay, but we can't have a healthy dog who doesn't have all that yeast on his body, who's, you know, not jacked up on all the crap in there. And they get to go in and, you know, they can't go in there. It doesn't make sense. Yeah. Does well, they get free. Sense. They get free food, too. That's like, right. The, the big the food companies sponsor guide dogs. I mean, we know, you know, people that work for guide dogs and they they give them the food. They give them the food. So why wouldn't they feed it? You know, like they give them. They give them all these, you know, this food and they got a lot of dogs to feed. So, um, you know, they think that's a, that's a great deal. And so, yeah, they're kibble fed and over vaccinated and probably dying at young ages of cancer and, you know, suffering in other ways throughout their life. And like, why, you know, like they think about, you know, like seeing eye dogs, like, wouldn't you, wouldn't you want those dogs to be like in the best health possible? You don't want a dog that's, that's guiding somebody around to be distracted by an ear infection that doesn't that doesn't sound like a good thing but that's what's going on if they're kibble fed and over vaccinated well how about a dog that can't focus yeah that too right he can't focus because he's so jacked up on sugar mm -hmm. <laughs> i mean there's just it is so backwards but again that's why you were there dr jacek uh, the first step in a healthy pet is to get a second opinion, right? You don't have to to listen to me. Um, oh, you don't have to listen to um to to just your vet. Call Dr. Judy Jasek. Ask her about her 35 years. Has it been 35 years? Yeah. Like, I graduated in January of 1988. So it's right at 35. Wow. Wow. Yeah, wow. No, it's like, wow. Well, I think if you, if you sat down and you said 35 years times the hours, times the hours that you have put into pet health, right? It would be astounding. So maybe you could calculate that on our next podcast. We could talk about how many hours. That's just going to make me feel really old, Dee. I don't know if I want to do that. I'm like, not sure oh. I want to do that exercise. You'd be like, I'm tired. That's a like, lot. Like, oh my hours. God, I think I need to retire. No, 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 no. We can't have all the good ones retire, right? So get over to ahavet.com. Dr. Jacek can do a Zoom call with you um, or just a phone call, right? If you mm -hmm. are like, look, I just got out of bed. I don't want to show my face. <laughs> I turn your camera off. It's all right. Uh, but but there's so much um, that she has dealt with and certainly could send you down the right path, give you a second opinion. Maybe it's not as bad as you think. 
Maybe it's just not as bad as you think. And she's going to help calm you down, give you that confidence to do what's best for your pet. That's at ahavet.com. Get over to Raw Dog Food and Company. We're going to help you get your dog on a species-appropriate diet. No, we do not have AAFCO-approved food. I got that question the other day. Is yours approved with AA? No. And we're going to tell you why. We don't want all those synthetic uh, vitamins and minerals and all the crap that kibble wants in the food. Uh, No, and you don't either. And we'll help you understand that. Get over to rawdogfoodandco.com where your pet's health is our business and we're friends. Don't let friends feed kibble. We'll see you next week, everybody. Bye-bye. Oh, snap. Find out how you can start your dog on the road to health and longevity. Go to rawdogfoodandcompany.com, where friends don't let friends feed kibble, and where your pet's health is our business. Just snap.